0: hi everyone welcome to the power podcast number one uh, this is going to be a little series of podcasts that we're doing to highlight a lot of the work done by women in conservation photography and research related to animals uh, we're going to be talking to a lot of different people but uh, this is just the first one so i am your one of your co-hosts tristan Kroll bunneman i'm the co-president of Laurie Animal Rescue.
1: And I'm the other co-president as well as co-host for this specific podcast, Mercy Wille-Hong. And featuring in our episode today, we have Christine Figener, who is a passionate um, ocean advocate as well as an amazing marine biologist. And we hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. Thank you for tuning in.
0: You know. Uh, <laughs>
1: well, here we are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Okay, so I I guess we'll start by just introducing ourselves just to kind of get that out of the way. Um, Marissa, you want to go first?
1: Sure. Okay, so my name is Marissa. I've been the one who is contacting you back and forth. And I'm the founder, one of the co-presidents for our Laurier Animal Rescue Club.
0: Oh, uh, and then I'm Tristan. I'm the co-president for uh, Laurier Animal Rescue Club. We're just kind of both working on it together. But uh, yeah.
1: Also. Before we start, are you okay with us recording this interview and as well as perhaps like posting it as a podcast for for club?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I cannot predict sometimes what happens and who's gonna walk away in the background. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's okay.
0: we, we're probably that's gonna no take problem. we might just take the audio track, um, so you wouldn't have to worry about like any video stuff like that. Okay. Um. But yeah.
2: Um, okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah
0: um so.
1: so okay
0: i'll go with okay it. Yeah,
1: yeah, um could fine. we have you introduce yourself and just kind of like what you do for a living and just like your day in a life i guess
2: okay yeah so my name is christine figeler and i'm a marine conservation biologist i live and work in Costa Rica, and work mainly on sea turtle research and conservation mm-hmm. and i'm i am well, because of, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish, uh, which is provide a better chance of survival for my sea turtles, I've also become pretty avid advocate in, you know, the issue around plastic pollution of our oceans, just because sea turtles are like, uh, absolute, um, yeah, um, indicator species of all the things that are going wrong with our oceans and plastics is definitely a huge issue for them. And, um, you know, I'm not um, dedicating all my time on the beach, you know, a lot of sleepless nights, just so we can then later on kill them with our luxury trash. Hmm. So yeah, that's what I am, what I do. Yeah. Great. Uh, So you, you also said, sorry, did you say you wanted to have like a day in my life? I was just like,
0: just a general overview, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really up to you. Whatever you feel would be a a good introduction yourself.
2: No. But introduction myself. Well, I mean, I live in a very, very rural town, or rural area in Costa Rica. So we literally have no public bus. We do not have a supermarket. We don't even have a convenience store. Um, it's kind of a dirt road that leads all the way to the ocean. And we have, you know, I pretty much my backyard or two minutes walk. we have this massive sea turtle nesting beach, oh. which is um, used by three species mainly two species, the leatherback, which is the largest of all sea turtle species, and the hawksbill turtle, which is one of the two species that are actually critically endangered. Uh, and yeah, what I do is during the nesting season that runs from right now, March till end of October, we are patrolling with a team of locals and international students, the nesting beaches to collect scientific data, but also to pretty much protect the nesting females in their eggs. And then um, I'm also having little research projects on the side. So I'm, for example, interested in habitat use in sea turtles. So I use satellite transmitters to track some of the turtles. I use stable isotope analyses to study the diet of sea turtles. And I'm also really um, keen on educating the next generation here because, you know, we have still issues with people um consumptively using sea turtle eggs and also the females and what it really takes is a change in mindset and culture and that's the easiest accomplished when you you know speak to the kids and get them involved and excited about sea turtles and just show them that there's a different way of you know consuming them Hmm. um i think that's pretty much summing up probably what i'm doing here
0: yeah absolutely that's that's great I've actually, I've always, I've always been really interested in like the aquatic life. Personally, I'm my favorite. I, I really like whales uh, personally, but uh, yeah. So your, your research really like uh, was, was really cool to, to see and just like how, how involved you are. Like, obviously how like you said, like you're living in a, in a rural area and stuff like that. Like most people wouldn't take like, you know, the, the luxuries of normal life for like the research, but it's just, it's really inspiring that you're, you know, you're out there constantly like working with them and uh, especially for like the critically endangered species it's, it's really amazing. Um, but yeah, we, uh, so we had a question. Uh,
2: As a a fun fact, fact, I did start marine biology because I am a huge fan of humpback whales. Oh, I I have worked in the meantime with humpback whales and it's actually not as interesting as working with sea turtles, the actual work because Mm -hmm. you know, a sea turtle work is really hands-on. It's really physical. You walk a lot, you get to be with a turtle and match, you know kind of really touch them and and handle them whereas when you study whales you're usually on a boat yeah maybe see them you know a little bit on the surface of the water maybe have a hydrophone in the water but that's about it so
0: yeah yeah no they've they've just they're always such interesting animals (laughs) um but yeah (laughs) um so we just have a quick question uh in relation to we were doing some background research on you and your career uh and we found that you uh focused on one point in your career on the olive ridley turtles i believe um at least that was those in the mm-hmm. research uh we just want to know like what 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 kind of like uh shauna to you or if that if that is your favorite uh like species of turtle or like what what is uh your favorite and like what it would kind of anything like that Yeah
2: i mean I, my, my my phd advice is probably going to kill me if she ever hears that podcast <laughs> yeah. but yeah olive Ridley, i don't my favorite species mm. i don't know olive ridley's are nice but nice you know a very fake word of i don't know yeah. um no my favorite ones are definitely leatherback turtles i mean mm. they're just absolutely incredible and i started my career as a sea turtle biologist with leatherbacks and work with them for eight years pretty much two seasons per year because costa rica has two coasts the mm. caribbean coast and the pacific coast the leatherbacks just happen to nest asynchronically so you know when i have the caribbean season the there's off season on the pacific and once that season ends i can just move on to the other coast and then have that season there so i kind of move back between the coasts And then when I started my Ph.D., my Ph.D. advisor pretty much wrote the Bible on olive ridleys, or the (laughs) two ridley species. And she loves ridleys. Mm. They're like these tiny, cute little turtles. And uh, they're really, like, olive ridleys are pretty abundant. And for uh, that they're so abundant, we don't really know that much about them, which is really curious. Because a lot of the, you know, kind of basic boxes haven't even been checked because everybody gets so distracted by one thing and one thing only about olive ridleys and that is their synchronized mm-hmm. mass nesting behavior. So there's only these two, the two ridley species, the chems ridley and the olive ridley that do engage in that behavior. And you have to envision a beach where you will have once a month about half a million turtles coming up to nest at the same time, more or less. I mean, within like three to five days, depending. And it's just super impressive. You know, yeah. it's just like you yeah. know, the beach is crawling with turtles. The sheer it's the sheer mass, but um yeah, it's still it's nice, but I don't think they no they're not definitely not my favorite species. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. But-
1: yeah. Okay. So um, we were looking, as we said before, researching into just, like, your life and everything, and I know a lot of our listeners now are, like, de- like definitely going to be undergrad students in our university, and so some people are kind of interested in perhaps, like, pursuing, uh, like, a field in, like, marine biology, for example, so would you be able to describe kind of the process in getting to where you are now, so, like, your schooling or, like, research and kind of extra experiences that kind of help to get to where you are now?
2: Yeah, I think uh, like one thing or one point I would probably like really emphasize at the very beginning is like try to get as much hands-on experience outside of university as you can, and even at a really young age and really early stage in your career. So don't wait till you already got like three university degrees in because then it's pretty much already too late, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so to speak, uh, because you'll be drowning in student debt and you don't have time to do those extra things yeah. anymore yeah. at least that's true for the you know North of America unfortunately <laughs> I, I had to say it yeah. um, so I think I was in the lucky position that I did study in Germany and we do not have um, to pay for our universities and at least not the amount mm-hmm. that you guys are paying Um I did start though to intern in an aquarium um, with marine mammals when I was about 13 or 14 And pretty much stayed there as an intern up until I started university when I was 19. So in Germany, we have 13 school years. So we're almost 20 when we are done um, with high school. And so I just studied, you know, normal biology. So nothing particular in Germany. It was back then anyways, that the specialization didn't kind of come up until you started your master's So everyone that is studying biology either if you want to become a microbiologist, or a geneticist, or an ecologist, it doesn't matter, everyone studies exactly the same base. Um, so I did that, and then I got really lucky, I think, because I was able to go on to a field trip that was actually meant for grad students, for master, but the professor that offered that trip, it was a tropical marine ecology class in Egypt, Um, for, for a while, that was He was new and he started advertising and super late. Um, And so he didn't find enough people and he just kind of opened it up for some of the undergrads. And I was lucky and just kind of went with him. It was amazing because, you know, after I I didn't particularly enjoy my undergrads because there's a lot of stuff that we had to do. I I felt I was doing more chemistry and math and and physics than I did actually biology. And then Mm -hmm. even within the biology, we had to do all the things. I'm not interested in like botany and plant physiology and microbiology and developmental biology It's like I have no affinity to you at all still don't Um, and I was very much in doubt if that is really the career that I'm interested in and so the field trip really changed that for me completely because that was everything I ever envisioned you know to kind of marine biology to be like because i ever since i was in kindergarten i wanted to become you know an ocean explorer and and so it helped really kind of to think about okay research and marine research can actually be exactly all those things and so i proceeded to my master's and um and i didn't even do a master's in marine biology but i was i thought because again marine biology is you know it's a very wide field and actually a lot of the marine stuff is, you know, very specific to algae, all the micro uh, level stuff in and oceanography, which is a lot of physics. And what I w- was really interested in because my love to humpback whales was um, I really wanted to study behavior. Yeah. And so I was looking for a master's in behavioral ecology, pretty much, or behavioral physiology. And um, so I did my master in that. And uh yeah after that it was kind of you know to to you know i really wanted to figure out what can i do in my life and i think again it was just a little bit of an accident during my master i already went for the first time to costa rica and worked as a research assistant for several months in and actually the same project that i'm right now in like leading and, and managing um and I came back and did my master thesis research here as well. And then my boss pretty much just hired me because he liked my work ethics. And I remember I just went back to analyze the samples and with all the raw data, I didn't even, I hadn't even written the the thesis. I pretty much moved to Costa Rica full time and started working here. Um, yeah, and I did that, like I said, for eight years and then some stuff happened because I really didn't feel like I really wanted to go for my PhD because it also puts you in a very limited niche. I think mm-hmm. for all the people that consider getting a PhD, think about it long and hard. Rather go for a master's first, for sure, um, because it will only help you. Even if you do a PhD afterwards, um, it's less time that you have to study and you definitely are already a lot better prepared to you know, do your own research than if you would just come in from your undergrad and then go straight for a PhD. And also, you have to realize, you know, a lot of people that do their PhD, you know, there is not, at least you don't get trained in a lot of different um, things. So you're getting trained to be in academia. So that means the university will prep you to become a professor. And that might not be what you want to do and what, you know, with your life. That is not what I wanted to do. So I was really hesitant to go for my PhD. But at some point I decided, okay, I want to be, Autonomous as a scientist. I don't want to have to depend on other people. For example, I was teaching or I am teaching a conservation biology class in Costa Rica, but I always had to have professors or people with a PhD signed for my classwork because you know yeah. officially without a PhD I'm not really allowed to teach, at least in Europe. So I was, you know, getting tired of that and I was thinking, okay, I just want to be my own boss in every sense. Um and uh that way i kind of went back to school in advanced age probably compared to a lot of the kids that were you know starting their phd was like 20 i don't know 22 probably 23. um and yeah i look for my advisor that's also really important like don't you shouldn't care about the school so much i mean it would be great i mean you should care about what your advisor is like because that person will be with you for the next, you know, four to six, eight, whatever years, how long it takes you. And also, um, if there's funding for you, because that is taking definitely a lot of stress out of you, Mm -hmm. uh, from you. Yeah. And that's kind of how I ended up at Texas A&M with my amazing advisor, Dr. Pam Plotkin. And I think my advantage was that I knew very well what I wanted to do and why I went for my PhD. And so I just came, got my title and left. and i'm back in costa rica oh, okay. um, a long-winded explanation i don't know if that helps
0: oh no it does Oh, no, it yeah. definitely helps
1: yeah
0: because we we have a lot also, of okay we have a lot of listeners that are, are like people in our club that are are very like inspired and looking um you know to pursue a career like working as an animal conservationist or even like veterinarian work or just general like biology, like I know myself, I'm in uh, a field, like my, my major is in biology and I'm hoping to go somewhere in the realms of that. But like, as you said, like it's a very kind of varied subject. There's a lot of different ways you can go about it. So it just, I think it, I think it uh, helps people a lot, especially at a younger age when, you know, it's kind of hard to choose your entire career at like the young age of like 20 something because our brains haven't fully you know, gotten there. Uh, so it really helps to get like a, a perspective of, you know,
2: You should definitely not go for a PhD at that age. (laughs) You know that's the point. You're too young, I think, to really know what you're going to do with of your life. Find yourself. Like your twenties are meant to find yourself and figure out what you want to do with your life. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. What I what definitely to the to the other part again. You know, to really go and get hands-on experience. I mean, it's not only about stuff that you don't learn at university, which is a lot of times the practical, applied stuff, but it is also about starting to pretty much establish a network, right? Because every time you're out there, you're working for somebody, that somebody has its own set of networks and you are pretty much living, or like leaving an impression, right? You you pretty much, the way you work, that person will be your reference and this person will be able to put you in contact with other people. And of course, if I have a friend that is recommending somebody, you know, a worker, of course, I'm w- way more willing to, to kind of take on that person then some wild card that just written me you know an application which that person might be great but i mean it's definitely a secure shot for me to go with somebody that comes already recommended and somebody knows already how they work right mm-hmm. um and because especially conservation is such a hard field to break into because there is so little money going around and i can always tell there's so much discussion about the unfairness of, you know, in order to get uh, experience to actually pay for for volunteering. And I feel your pain, but I'm also in the position I'm leading a grassroots, like really small local organization. And I mean, we're struggling with funding, you know, And, and, and our funding situation is such that I would always prioritize. The guys from the community here because first of all they have way more practical experience that serve me a lot better in the field than any university graduate i don't care if you have a bachelor's degree or not so don't don't overestimate your value sometimes that's i think probably one lesson and second because i'm i'm, I'm killing two birds with one stone right so i'm trying to keep the community from poaching eggs for example and with having people work for the community, I'm actually creating income for people here, right? So that means it is something positive that is is, is, is it, of, it's coming with a project and people working for the project instead of you know going by themselves and, and poaching, for example. So um, yeah, so there's not much money left to really support young foreign conservationists from other countries. And I mean, my research assistants at this point have to pay for at least their own room and board. So we have a special rate, but it's still, you know, in theory, it's still they have to pay. Mm -hmm. But I think there is like, you know, there is projects such as mine, where you literally just kind of pay for your own way. Or there's projects that really try to make money with you, if that makes sense. Because there's those as well that charge you horrendous fees. And some of them are great still, because you learn a lot, because they really try to cater to your education, but I think you should be very carefully choosing those experiences. And I mean, there are experiences where you literally do not pay at all, where at least your room and board is paid, you may pay your travel. And I think everyone should get experience such as. So I think that's the A and O, honestly, that's the most important thing to really kind of gauge if if that's even for you. Because I think a lot of people come into my projects and they love the idea of saving sea turtles. And once they hear and they notice, oh, shit, that is like involving being sleep deprived consistently, um, having to walk 20 kilometers every night on soft sand, getting blisters, Uh, everything aches, uh, being rained on every night, nothing is dry, your clothes are molding, you are getting eaten by mosquitoes and sand flies. You know, after a while, it doesn't seem that great anymore. (laughs) And -hmm. unless you're really, really, really passionate about the work, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, leave the project after three months and say, yeah, that was a great experience. I do not ever need to have again. And then they kind of, you know, look for something else to do. But I think this is exactly why you should do something like that. Because imagine like, I don't know, you're doing your PhD and you kind of, you know, preparing everything in your career to become a sea turtle conservationist. And then for the first time you go out into the field and you're like, dude, I hate my guts right now. Like, what am I doing here? (laughs) Um, that is probably not the best way of, of finding out so you should you know kind of have those experience early on in order to adjust mm-hmm.
0: yeah absolutely um yeah uh Mr. you want to
1: ask the next question okay <laughs> um so i i actually remember this seeing this when i was younger too on youtube how you posted a video that went super viral almost 41 million views now or a little past that and it's um, on the plastic straw removal from the turtle's nose when with you and your research team. And we were wondering how did you feel in the moment when you're recording that video and did it affect you in any way at the time and how did it kind of change the perspective of, I guess, plastic pollution in animals now? (laughs)
2: Yeah, that that is. We need to unpack that question a little bit, right? No Always. <laughs> okay, so first of all, <laughs> so uh, first of all, yeah. I mean, I this this happened um, five years ago while I was conducting research for my PhD, and I have to say, it's of course, it's like plastic was not some new story to us uh, that were on the boat, or even to me. I mean. Plastic has been a sad byline ever since I've studied sea turtles uh, 15 years ago, and still is. And it was just in the moment that I have, I mean, I've seen all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, We have found turtles, you know, of course, the general thing had ingested plastic. um, They were entangled in, in pieces of plastic. And we even found once a turtle that was like stuck in a car tire, so we have we have seen funny stuff already But not funny as in haha, but kind of weird stuff um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: But that particular one was just so So up. wow, it was weird because I mean we thought it had a barnacle and then we find a plastic straw You know an item that every single one of us has probably used at one point in their lives and we just had talked about it. I, it, was, it was really interesting. We just had talked about it the night before about plastic straws and how useless plastic straws are because it's really you can drink out of a glass without one, right? But it comes in yeah. every single drink that you yeah. order in most places. So um, and usually I never, even before that, we I never took or take straws. But we got distracted because um, I, I met my colleague that was on the boat with me that day as well. Um, I hadn't seen him in a really long time and we kind of met up in this restaurant. And so we were chatting away, you know, long time no see. And so we didn't really notice when the waiter or waitress came that she had put straws in it. And we, you know, we saw it. I was like, ah, dang it. We forgot to ask without straw. And then we kind of started this discussion. And then the next day we find this turtle that had a plastic straw stuck in its nose. And I think we were all pretty shocked. Um, at this point, I think we have a pretty good idea how it got stuck in its nose, but at that point we didn't. So we were like, who the fuck would shove like a turtle plastic straw in its nose? But it was a male. So we were like, did it really? Was it really actively done? Um, but what probably happened is uh, if you ever see a sea turtle feeding, so since they feed underwater, they usually swallow the Item with a bunch of water, and then they expel the excess water through the nostrils. So they have a similar uh, connection between mouth cavity and the nose as we have as well as humans. And um, so the plastic straw was probably just too light to be washed out all the way and just got stuck right there. And then. And yeah, the effect of it, of course, it was probably like two weeks of craziness, uh, me being stuck in the jungle with bad internet and a bunch of news stations trying to reach us and give a comment. And it afterwards it came in waves, um, you know, where first it was like all the big media, then the NG- NGOs kind of followed suit and then governmental bodies all of that and started talking about plastic, the UN started talking about plastic, then Blue Planet, the new, was released and it talked about plastic so it it was definitely you know an increase in awareness and it's really funny because um like the people that are discussing you know key moments in the anti-plastic movement or uh, seminal you know moments they definitely put that video at one of like a major Kind of increase of awareness in, you know, after it was filmed. So I have issues sometimes just gauging if that's true or not, just because it's so, sometimes it's still so abstract. If you think about it, you just kind of dump something on YouTube and then it goes around the world. And, you know, when it, it has on its channel itself like 40,000, uh, 40 million views. I haven't even checked. And um, there's another version that's on it, I think has like 60 million views, like a shorter version. So, and it was on Facebook with like 30 million within a few days. So, you know, it's uh, millions of people have seen it, but I mean, I haven't seen people watch it other than I have seen the numbers go up. So it's, it's very, it's very abstract still sometimes. Yeah. But what I have to say is because of, of that video, I have been gifted this incredible platform, um, you know, where I can talk about plastic and sea turtles and ocean conservation, which is dear to my heart and i'm really happy that i you know people now all of a sudden listen to what i have to say now that i didn't have those opinions before but now people are suddenly interested instead of actually hearing my opinion um and uh, it has also made it easier for me to really realize some of the or um yeah to execute some of the projects that i'm doing so for example that i'm able to work here in costa rica on my own projects it is also due you know, to the no- notoriety of, of my persona and the video probably, uh, that has resulted in, in that it's just people believing in me, believing in my work and supporting my work as well. So has definitely changed a little bit my my trajectory for maybe or at least has helped it along.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, great. Um, yeah. Uh, so going off of that, um, I just had a question. So In 2018, you were named as the Next Generation Leader by Time Magazine for uh, your work and like the outreach and things like that. Uh, We just want to know, like, how did you feel about like receiving that since it's such a prestigious achievement?
2: Yeah, that was that was also kind of an interesting incident, so um, I was still in my PhD and super busy and super stressed because it kind of came to an end and, you know, I was super wrapped up. And one of my two professors didn't even like, he hated all my, what he called it an extra curric- curriculum work because he wanted me to concentrate on my dissertation and not, you know, drift away from, from that. And then uh, I think it was in June or July, uh, time magazine did a little article. So before that, I actually, as a person, I never really stepped into the spotlight. So, because. If you saw if, if if you actually seen the video, you don't really see people in it. So you see the turtle, and you see well, you hear me cursing and talking in the background. But it's not like my face was there, and people all of a sudden, you know, were, like my t- turtle was super famous, but I wasn't uh, in any sense, and I don't think I I still am. But um, so for some reason, time all of a sudden was like, well, who who actually made that video? You know, because it's like three years after and. Who is the person that actually filmed the video? So they did a little um, article on on you know well on me and on and the video and what I was thinking, and then about a month or two later, I get a phone call from the same journalist, and she was like, "Well, I have really good news. You're named the next generation leader," and I was like, uh, "What? Are, are you sure? Like, I mean, are you sure you're having the right number? Like, isn't like you didn't mean somebody else, right?" She's like, no, no, no. It's definitely you. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I think I was more speechless in the beginning because I really couldn't believe it. I mean, there have been people like, you know, Trevor Noah, that I think wanted the year before me and, uh, Greta Thunberg, for example, has won it as well. Um, so it was just really prestigious and, and huge, uh, you know, to be, be named and, and honored in such a way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about it. I mean, it, it comes sometimes those honors are incredible, but it I always feel it comes with a lot of pressure and with a lot of expectations maybe as well. And I'm sometimes worried that, you know, the big shoes that a lot of people then put on your feet, maybe I'm not able to fill them if, if, if I'm explaining myself that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I'm just
2: a normal person, you know, so I'm yeah. not somebody... Are that different than you are? So, I uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> hate mm. to disappoint. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, okay, yeah, great. Pressing on to that.
1: Sure. So, um, again, we were looking into you, and I am kind of unsure, but I saw you were the director of, I believe, um, under the Footprint Foundation. Uh, correct me if i'm wrong but um i was just wondering how did you kind of get involved with this foundation and kind of what motivated you to become the director under it
2: well i mean so this is pretty much my day job Uh, i'm the director of science and education for footprint foundation and so through all of my plastic advocacy and outreach i you know i'm i am pretty frequently approached by NGOs, by companies, by, you know, people that do good work but also people that just want to greenwash. And in two thousand, I think it was even the same year, 2018, around or maybe beginning of 2019, I was approached by this lady from a company called Footprint. And she was really persistent. So I usually don't, you know, if it's just kind of a person I don't know and, and if it feels very I don't know, I, I usually don't answer but she just kept on contacting me on all my social media channels and she just asked for like a little phone call. She wanted to tell me what Footprint is doing. And so eventually I gave in and I said, okay, you got your phone call. And so she told me about, you know, like, hey, we are a startup company. We're pretty much all, you know, ex-retired executives from the Silicon Valley. And um, we have a history of, you know, really kind of feeling we need to now pay back to society. and." We founded this company, this material engineering company that is trying to really revolutionize the packaging market, because I don't know if you know, but a lot of the plastics that we have come mainly from food wrappers and packaging, Mm -hmm. Um, and they said, well, we're tired of greenwashing. We're tired of big polluting companies having excuses such as, you know, it is not cost efficient to do something that is plastic free. There are no solutions to the plastic thing. So we want to pretty much provide those alternatives. And I said, well, that sounds great, but I was still pretty skeptical. And so, um, yeah, they pretty much invited me over, showed me all the, you know, operations, the engineers that were working on it, all the lab, like the third party lab results on it. And eventually my, my very critical German mind uh, was, you know, oh, I guess they are really doing what they're doing. I mean, they're seeming to be, you know, trying to really do the right thing and, and, and uh, actually successful. And so I started become an ambassador for that company, and um, so the, you know in, in, in the background, I guess they were already discussing that this is just not enough what they were doing, and they really wanted to found a nonprofit that is attached to the company that will you know be mainly active in in education and engagement to really have educated and informed consumers, so big polluting companies don't have as much chance to you know. Sp- spread false information and false narratives about recycling and bioplastics and all the fancy things that they're trying to do in order to not really change anything. And so um, I was just done with my PhD. I was asked if like, hey, are you interested of leading the the foundation? And I was like, uh, sure, of course. I mean, um, and the idea is pretty much, you know, that my platform that I have already as a person together with the tools and 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 the things that they have that we hopefully can reach a lot more people than you know we either one would be able to reach by just themselves and yeah so i became the director of science and education for footprint foundation last year in um i think march or april when i started and uh, of course that's when the pandemic started so a lot of the stuff that we were like hoping to do we haven't been but i mean we adjusted to like the online and the virtual uh, world. And in in fact, I think actually it is, you know, sometimes a lot easier to reach a lot more people because even like last year, World Oceans Day, I literally in one day I did panels in Ecuador, in Suriname, in Mexico, in Canada, in the US. It was all in one day. So I would never, ever, ever be able to do that in person. And of course, Mm -hmm. you know, since, um, it's not just a prestige thing anymore to necessarily have internet so it's not about you know being able to afford a travel to i don't know washington dc to observe um for example like oceans day or something but it it just reached out to so so many more people and so i think it has advantages actually you know sometimes to just do it virtually and i kind of hope even if the pandemic eventually will end uh, or like we will be able to just kind of you know live a little bit more normally again that we still retain some of the good ideas about you know doing that even our conversation i mean we couldn't really do it without you know i couldn't be sitting in Costa Rica <laughs> chatting with you if we wouldn't
1: have the opportunities of like google meet and zoom and all of that mm-hmm. yeah for sure that's kind of why we wanted to start this kind of especially for in honors of women's history month we wanted to find like powerful females and it was so useful how everything's virtual now that we can like contact and meet such powerful researchers like yourself and it's been awesome because it's like we like you said we would have never been able to done this if we were just in person right
0: yeah um and yeah so true mm-hmm. um yeah so so going off of that um going a little bit more back towards uh like the school side of things. Um so a lot of our audience is is like younger generation students um you know many people going to like their their four-year bachelors, some grad students. It's really up to up to them. Um so we just wanted to know uh, like what are your hopes for in terms of change coming in the future because you know we are the the future generation, you know we're going to be entering into the workforce, we're going to be you know, people, especially since we're in a lot of uh, biology based people within our club and uh, within our school, um, you know, just what, what do you think are some good things that we could change as the future generation uh, and advice that you would give to the younger generation to kind of garner that change?
2: Yeah, I think first of all, I think it is super important to kind of not just talk the talk, but also to walk the walk, right? Mm-hmm. So if you studying sustainability, I think you should probably try also to integrate that into your everyday life and try to influence businesses, local businesses, global businesses with your club activities, whatever, with your, maybe your company, you're founding later on to always, you know, of course, there's always the most cost, cost efficient way, but there should always be an option where you think, okay, but maybe I'm willing to pay the extra money, but make it more sustainable. And that you kind of come with that mindset. And I think also as the next generation, I really hope that you guys will start to think a little bit more outside the box than my generation or even the previous generation did. So I think there's so many more ways of going about doing stuff um, Mm -hmm. of just kind of, you know, I think biology doesn't just have to be this one or the other thing, but I think there's so many ways of how you can integrate your hobbies, your interests, into you know your passions because I think we're not all having just one passion in life and I think we need to approach a lot of the, the 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 issues from different angles we need different voices different faces we need definitely more women and 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 people of color you know in our midst that speak that have a voice and and I, I just hope that the old white men are finally kind of stepping aside and letting, us, you know, women and and POC people as well, kind of, you know, um, yeah, approach uh, to the table and 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 be part of it. And then, I I think you guys don't need to wait until you're old, until you feel okay power. But I think you can really start now. I mean, as an undergrad, to make those changes, right? To influence, to to be heard, to be part of the conversation. Um, and don't let the old generation tell you things that you cannot do. I mean, this is, I think the most important part because I think a lot of people lose their passion along the way, lose kind of, I don't know, succumb to bitterness and, and all kinds of negativity. And they forget of like how, I mean, maybe they have never been gifted this, this, this passion that can drive you and, and can literally move mountains. And I, I just always. Try to tell everybody don't lose your spark if you feel like you're losing your spark look for it like leave leave the situation go where you will find it again because you don't want to be a miserable person you're not going to change the world being miserable so just follow your passion and do your best i guess
0: yeah definitely great but okay well, um but
2: yeah um, sorry my dog is here and she wants to stay i don't know if it's oh, it's oh. her ball <laughs> so cute
0: yeah <laughs> some of um but yeah we're seeing the last last question
1: sure yeah. okay so kind of since you talked about like i guess what um how we could like kind of make the change and everything we we're wondering if you have any um advice kind of like what kind of organizations uh these our audience can go to or what kind of um I guess extra like curriculars that we can refer to in our own time to kind of just take that next step. Wow, I think that is a very the list is long
2: probably yeah. because it really depends yeah. of what you particularly are interested in. Mm. Um, because I mean you can you cannot hide every every war, right? You should definitely focus on like one thing you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, So, let it be, I don't know, intersectionality in environmentalism, right? Um, Let it be, I don't know, neocolonistic science. Um, Let it be reducing your plastic footprint. I mean, there's so many different ways of how you could make a difference. You could become... A political leader right you could start becoming a politician and and maybe get elected um, beyond of course what you do in school but actually on, on the international platform. so I, I really don't know if I want to make recommendations for just yeah you know, one thing I should just think be creative like just think outside of the box and and, and find you know and then try out and find and I think just judge you know by your, for yourself if you see somebody and you feel okay this is a good thing then what they're doing is a good thing. I can kind of, you know, subscribe to that. That's great. Just be critical sometimes, you know, not everything that is kind of sold and glitters and it's gold that that's um, uh, for sure. But I mean, you're all becoming active thinkers, critical thinkers. I mean, that's at least what the university is trying to teach you to be. So uh, use that and then try to figure out yourself of of, of what you think is is important. And don't doubt yourself. We women always doubt ourselves so much. Mm -hmm. If you feel this is right, it's probably right. So don't doubt it too much. You don't need outside confirmation for everything that you believe in.
0: Yeah,
1: Uh, I agree. (laughs) Hmm.
0: Um, Yeah, so um, kind of going off that question, but a little bit different. Um, So we just wanted to ask, uh, since you're a researcher, and since you work with uh, a lot of, you know, conservation and stuff like that, do you have any, uh, like charities or initiatives? Um, that you've seen or you know really anywhere in the world that you think should be brought more to light or uh, anything that you think is a really inspiring uh, initiative or anything like that
2: okay I'm highly biased towards that I have to say Mm. Um, just because I am part of a grassroots organization Mm. and so the thing is like the reality of our conservation is that the actual groundwork is done by grassroots efforts grassroots organizations but we are the ones that struggle the most with funding because there is you know large organizations such as the wwf uh conservation international you know you name it it's there see Shepherd, they don't need to worry about funding i mean they literally have more than they need probably hmm. Um, but for us, you know, one year of funding means either we survive or we won't exist the next year anymore. So there is an initiative that I'm also part in, I'm not going to lie about it, but it's pretty much it's, it's a Swedish um, lady that has recognized this issue. She actually comes from marketing, so she was a Fortune 500, uh, I think, marketing executive and um she went to africa to photograph lines and she kind of really got involved in the conservation work there and she noticed in that that you know there is this grassroots efforts that are incredible because we are doing all the heavy lifting but we're literally seeing like maybe 20 percent of the money that is going around and she was for many years thinking about like okay how can we change that and she now started a platform which is called milky wire Um, so like Milky Way, just the wire, like use um, wire, for example, mm-hmm. Um, where she is recruiting and looking for grassroots organizations. And she kind of combines this, um, you know, I don't know, you've probably heard of Patreon, yeah. right? Uh, it's like mm-hmm. this crowd-
0: crowdfunding yeah. funding
2: platform where you can like, you know, have artists or whatever content creators where you like give $3 a month and they can continue to cre- create their content. So she's trying to combine that with a little bit of this social media influencer idea um, of, you know, where you have kind of charismatic people in the organizations maybe that are able kind of to stand symbolically for whatever they're doing in the field, uh, which she calls impactors, not influencers, but impactors. And so on this platform, there is a whole collection of incredible grassroots organizations all over the world that are working, you know, to really do good stuff. And it is also catering towards pretty much your generation, like um, millennials and Generation Z um, that are not necessarily the richest people, you guys are still in education, but so it's, you know, it's not about giving us thousands of dollars, but it's about, you know, a lot of people giving like $3 a month, for example, and Mm -hmm. supporting us with that. So it's more like, think about it like... Hey, Chris, I would like to invite you to a coffee, but instead I'm giving you $3 for your, you know, conservation work. And so her idea is really having a lot of people getting a little bit and that way having like continuous funding for all those grassroots efforts. And so I can highly recommend that just because it's not just contributing me or like one project, but it's actually contributing a whole array of incredible conservation work worldwide. So if you want to check it out, milkywire.com, um, And there's all kinds of different, you know, you call Africa elephant conservation. There is a snake guy in in Asia, uh, Costa Rica conservation with me, sea turtles. And so um, Suriname, a soft lady. So there's all kinds of really, really cool efforts. And um, the really neat thing is also is, you know, the, the idea is really to be directly informing our donors. So you have a lot of cool updates from the field. So you always kind of with us sitting in the field and seeing all the crazy stuff that we're doing (laughs) and experiencing um yeah so i think it's a little bit more real than a lot of the kind of polished wwf brochures that you will receive in order to like save some tiger somewhere
0: yeah
2: um yeah but i'm also biased like i said so (laughs) oh
0: yeah but it does give it a lot more of like a personal feel like I i know with patreon a lot of people will have like you know if you donate so much you get like you know exclusive interviews or you know photos and stuff like that and i, I think it, i think it's a really good idea to just be able to kind of um accrue all of that together and make like this kind of giga platform of everything uh together especially because it, it gives people like i know the wwf like they'll give you like a stuffed animal and like some other stuff and stuff like that it is it, it is good because it gives you that affirmation um but it's cool to just be able to see like what your money is doing especially on the uh smaller scale with a lot of the grassroots you know you can see like you know ten thousand dollars if you throw a wwf it's doing a lot but if you throw it at like a grassroots campaign you can really see that impact not that money people are Oh, i mean
2: totally yeah totally because i mean if you think about it like i don't know five hundred six hundred dollars for wwf is literally nothing right it's just like i don't know what they're gonna do and they probably lose it somewhere in the way for us, it's, it's more than a salary of like one person working on the beach, a monthly salary, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's incredibly of, of, of the difference of, you know, what the same amount of money, what kind of value difference it has in, in, in different situations and in different projects. So, yeah, yeah. definitely I've, a worthwhile initiative, I think.
0: Hmm, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, mercy of... Uh
1: um i think you basically answered a lot of our <laughs> questions and gave us a lot of information and we're super grateful mm. you're actually like one of our first um people we're going to interview too so this is like our first experience doing this and we're so thankful that you're like open and willing to do this like take this time to talk to us honestly
2: yeah no i mean honestly i preferred this because if you would have sent me questions i would probably have procrastinated of even opening it and looking at it because I'm so busy. Yeah. And so it kind of, you know, forces me to deal with it right now. And right then, which is not, it doesn't mean I, I don't want to deal with it. It's <laughs> just, you know, sometimes life happens and I'm busy.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we yeah. just, uh, we, we really appreciate it again.
2: Um, Thank you very much for the invite. I feel very honored. And I hope you guys have a cool array of strong women in the end. Hmm. And I hope you guys, yeah, I don't know, feel inspired, find your own way. Um, I definitely wish you all the best. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks the honor is some...
0: ours. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you. We, uh, you know, we wish you luck with like all of your uh, initiatives and stuff like that. We we really look forward to to supporting you and uh, and your research because you know we're we're very interested in that that sort of side of things. Um, but you know, we, we just. We're very excited to see you know where you go with it and stuff like that and the the future of how we can uh, we can really yeah. change the world uh, just as, as a society. We can
2: mm-hmm. especially if we are all doing. It together. And mm-hmm. also just like as a student, interesting I do accept international students, right? I think I've kind of touched on that topic, but every mm-hmm. year I have about three teams of of research assistants that are coming in. I mean, it is, it is competitive, I, I hate to say it. So yeah. for this year, I've received, received about 70 applications, I think. But it's not totally impossible. Hmm. So, um, definitely a chance you know, to kind of get your Feed Wet in sea or conservation. If you're interested of you know of doing that, maybe one day.
0: Oh yeah, we, we definitely have a lot of people who we've we've uh, we've even taken into our club or uh, people that we have like general members and stuff like that. that we've heard uh, that are, are very interested in like getting involved. Um, I think one of our executives is even going to Zimbabwe, is it, um, to work mm-hmm. uh, over, over. I believe it's mm-hmm. over the summer, but uh, yeah. So we we we're, we're definitely you know super uh, I guess hyped up to to promote that um because it's it's a super amazing thing and as you said nothing beats you know hands-on experience right like you can go through a master's through everything and then if you if if you step on the field and you can't do anything then what's the point
2: correct yeah totally true Mm -hmm. totally true Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely awesome Um, yeah uh i think that's that's all really the questions we have but uh thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to to interview us i know we're we're just kind of starting out our club, but we just we really appreciate this, uh, this opportunity. And it's just just it's it's amazing to be able to, to speak with, with, with people in the field, because it's honestly something that a lot of people take for granted and, uh, you know, don't really go out for it. But it's, it's, it's really amazing to be able to, to have this sort of dialogue.
2: Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to help. I told that also to um, the, the lady that put us in contact. Mm. So, yeah, you guys, good luck with everything, and thank you very much for the invitation.
0: Yeah, thank you thank so much. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we hope you have a good day and <laughs> everything like that. Bye.
1: Bye. You too. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: Okay, um, yeah, so that was the recording of our first interview with Christine Dieter. Um we're going to be looking into getting a lot more recordings out, uh, in the future. So look forward to those. Um, we have a lot of people lined up, a lot of cool researchers. And, um, if you have any sort of ideas as to things we can do, feel free to message us, uh, on our Instagram privately to, you know, just get, get yourself heard. Cause we're, we're very open yeah, emails, emails are open. We're, we're, we're looking forward to hearing from everyone. And we really want to know, uh, what the community, what the community thinks and what we can do better or, It's just ideas that people have.